but it was actually taken with a Polaroid camera. And wow. what they did was while the camera, while the photo was still drying, they smudged it. And that's how they got the effect. So it's not like, you know, no. crazy. It was just a fun it's, smudge to actually cause that effect. Yeah, squirrel less Photoshop stuff. That's that awesome. is 1980s Photoshop. That's, that's so, really... Just get my thumb on it. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Epic. Um, Hello, good evening, and welcome to Movies, Music and Madness. I'm Martin, I'm hosting this week. Joining me, as usual, we have David, Glenn and Ian. And this week, our year is 1980. Hmm. Quite a good year, do you reckon, guys? I thought there was some good stuff on the go this week. It was a funny period for me because it was. I've got a lot of really, really favourite um, albums that are just after 80. 81, 82, 83. So 80 was just kind of pre some of the real juicy stuff for me. So yeah, I, I found out a little bit of a challenge actually. Yeah. How about you, Glenn? Um, challenge with the movie, but I found a good one and we've enjoyed it. All right. Well, we'll just kick off tonight. We'll get straight into it. And I think we'll start tonight with the music. Yeah, Dave, do you want to start us off tonight? I hate it when you forget what you've called a song when you're John Lennon, eh? Well, when you've written a few hundred, I guess you can, right? So, 1975, John Lennon, uh, John Lennon, Yoko Ono, welcome Sean Lennon into the world, and uh, pretty much from 75 through to around 79, John's the family man, and he doesn't put out any albums, he, he's, you know, doing the doing the dad thing, and very happy and content doing so. 79 comes around and he found, finds he's got a bit of a collection of songs. Uh, but he's been out of the business for so long, he's lost he's lost his mojo, lost his confidence. Um, Yoko uh, arranges uh, for a tape of these songs to be sent across to um, Jack Douglas, who's done work with Aerosmith, Cheap Trick, uh, you name it. He's sort of been around the traps and... He gets a copy of the tape. John calls him and says, what do you think? And he says, mate, I can't do anything to make this any better. They, you know, you don't need me. What you've got there is just, um, yeah, fantastic. And John's like, no, no, I want you to produce this, mate. I, I don't trust anyone else. And furthermore, I don't want anyone to know that I've been working on some songs because if this thing doesn't go well, I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't think I could deal with that. So Jack has to, um, he has to do it on the quiet. So he's got to arrange session musicians, um, and he's got to he's got to record the songs with him singing, the producer singing these songs, that so no one can know it's John's. This is John's work, and he um, he manages to do it, get a band together, a number of um, cheap uh, cheap trick I think it is cheap trick uh, band members, a number of um, 
New York's top session musicians. Uh, when I went through the Wikipedia to have a look, man, he's just stacked it with talent. Um, the album gets released as Double Fantasy in uh, late 1980, um, just before Lennon is uh, is shot, about three weeks before. Um, it's an album that's got uh it's stacked with hits like just like starting over woman watching the wheels and that but it's an album it's a family album so john's instructions were to uh to the producer where this is not rock and roll mate this is not aerosmith this is a i'm 39 I, i'm i've done all that i want you to strip it back i don't want it to have the heavy guitars and the heavy bass line um see what you can do so I've got a couple of tracks here from it. Um, Watching the Wheels is one of my favorite tracks, and it kind of sums up the whole album in a song. It's a song about basically sticking it to the establishment, um, not interested in, uh, you know, doing what I've done in the past. People think I'm a bit crazy, you know, shutting the door on that part of my life and being the family man. Well, you know, whatever. Watching the Wheels, this is the stripped down mix from 2010. People say I'm crazy. kinds of warnings to save me from ruin when I say that I'm okay well they look at me kind of strange surely you're not happy now you no longer play the game what do you think yes yeah, my favorite that intro <laughs> That's good. Straight back. Good. Yeah, nice. good Sounds tune, really cool. Straight back. Yeah. Great mm -hmm. tune. You definitely notice. So he double tracked and sometimes triple tracked uh, his vocals um, throughout his career, um, but particularly on this album. And again, I think it comes back to that confidence issue. He sounds he sounds great. I think that's just vocal, single vocal on its own. And this next song is one that. Ethan and I used to sing together at night before bed um, when he was about three or four, I think. There's a lyric in there that he really liked um, and it sort of talks about the monster's gone and your daddy's here and uh, it's very cute. Um, and he heard that I was reviewing this album tonight and he um, he said, you got to play that song, Dad. So here it is. It's Beautiful Boy by John Lennon. Close your eyes Have no fear The monster's gone He's on the run And your daddy's here Uh, released as a single um but it's a it's a great song sounds so much like george harrison eh? Hey? yeah there's a bit of that in there yeah it definitely. does yeah and when you mm. listen to the album version it sounds so much like mind games the um uh the album from about 74 uh in terms of the the, the production of this particular song i'm not sure if it was intentional on in that but yeah great song beautiful boy that was my second track um from double fantasy like i said 
came out just before he was um, tragically shot, and uh, it won it won the Grammy for the best album of the year the following year. Um, you know, some of that was probably because of what happened to John, but it is a, mm-hmm. it is a pretty damn good album. Um, all up, I really love the line in that last song where it says, um, "Life is what happens when you're busy making other plans." I mean, it yeah. is just utterly so, brilliant that line. So true, isn't it? Yeah. Hell yeah. He knew how to write a song, did Johnny? Mm-hmm. He did indeed. Mm. Awesome. Thanks for that, Dave. Okay, um, Ian, what have you got for us this week? That's the name of the album I chose Ooh, in normal English. Ooh, that That's Gaucho. Yeah. Isn't it just nice, funky album? Uh, Gaucho by, uh, who was it? Steely Dan. That's right. Steely I knew Dan. That. <laughs> That's why I chose it. And um, yeah, I chose this album because it's a little bit different to the early 80s stuff. I think it's... Uh, oh, totally. Yeah. And... Uh, and actually, Steely Dan's quite an interesting one because I'm a, I'm a bit of a late bloomer. I only got onto them about a year ago. Okay. Uh, yeah, because I've never really liked Donald Fagan's voice, mm. um, and and I just started to listen to it a little bit more. This album, mm. and uh, the whole album's really really good. And they just have it for me. They have a really interesting way of writing songs. So he's very lyrical. He's got some really technical chord structures going yeah. on. Yeah. The best musos in LA were on the yeah. Bands, right? They had the Toto yeah, boys this, playing on all those songs. Yeah, I mean, if I'm just reading on Wikipedia here, but the, yeah, the actual recording of the album, I think it says here they used at least 42 different musicians. <laughs> Damn. What? I know. That's a lot of musicians. And um, the album was made over a, a, about a, a year and a half period, and that was due to um, the keyboard player and Donald Fagan's um, – they were obsessive in nature with perfectionism. And that is what you can hear throughout the whole album. That's why I like Steely Dan. It's, it sounds very uh, perfect and, and, and kind of flows, but in a weird way. So check this one out as well. This is another cracking song of Gaucho. Is it Gaucho or Guaucho? I don't know how to say it. Gaucho? We'll go with that. So fine, so young. Tell me I'm the only one. Sounds smug. Yeah, it's very smug. Ugh, smug. Ugh. No, he's got a he's got a really interesting way of of telling a story in a song because he goes through these kind of jazzy breaks you know they go into these lovely jazzy chords it's extremely hard to play um of course it is it's, it's showing off you say mark knopfler on some of those yeah. songs right michael mcdonald i think does a bit as well 
Does he's he? on there with BVs. Yeah, Michael there's a... McDonald. Oh, back in vocals. Yeah, I think and so. Yeah, awards probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Michael. Yeah. This it's a it's a great sound. I, I I actually really like this album. Put it into context. I wouldn't put it on and rock out with it. I would definitely use it on a road trip. I would definitely use it on a Sunday afternoon while I'm cooking some Italian. Just kind of there in the background, and um, yeah, steady and not everyone's cup of tea. I get it. Wasn't mine till about a year ago. But uh, here's another track. Again, it's quite a funky album. This song's called Glamour. Great bass lines. That's the love boat, isn't it? There's a few more chords in the love boat in that, though. Glenn's loving this. I love it. It's a great story in all of his songs. Hugh McCracken on the lead guitar on Steely Dan's that album. Also yep. on Double Fantasy. Geez, he had a ah. big, big year, eh? He had a big year. He was a New busy York boy. Yeah, yeah, totally. Damn. But yeah, Gout chose my uh, album of choice, and I think I do think everyone should have a copy in their in their library, just for that. Yeah, Sunday afternoon stuff. Great. Cool. Thank you for that. Okay, Glenn, how about you? What have you got for us this week? I've picked another New York album. Um, I've picked um, Scary Monsters, um, David Bowie album from 1980. Um, effectively, he, he had a busy year. He was working on um, on Broadway as well in a, in a number of plays. So I think it was The Elephant Man. Um, and then he also made this quite, unique record sort of he was aiming to want to come back and you know after some very artistically satisfying albums which was the berlin trilogy of what was it low heroes and lodger he made this album and it had a, a number a number of hits on it but unfortunately he didn't tour it um because after john um was assassinated um david went into a funk um you know he lost one of his best friends and um yeah, retreated to Europe and eventually came out of it and made, he kept busy. He obviously did the Queen song um, and made, um, you know, Let's Dance, which came out uh, a few years later. So, yeah, not, you know, deciding to move away from just pure artistic music to, of artistic pleasure to making stuff that um, could make a lot of money. Because either way, you know, through the 70s, he didn't make actually much coin believe it or not, even though he was kind of everywhere. Anyway, so I've got a couple of songs. First one how much it, of that money it, went up his nose and stuff. Quite a bit. Quite a lot. Quite a bit. Yeah. But he also, again... That doesn't help, eh? Yeah, the usual thing, got treated poorly by labels, got treated poorly by, um, you know, um, managers who ripped him off big time while he probably had all that stuff up his nose as well. But anyway... First song I'm going to pick is called It's No Game. It bookends the album. It is probably one of the quirkiest songs on the album, which I quite like. Um, so it's definitely not going to be everyone's cup of tea, but most of David Bowie's stuff is fairly divisive, which is quite fun. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, so quite quirky. Um, you've got um, Robert Fripp coming back from when he was with them in Heroes, and he provides all that sort of jaggedy, edgy sort of guitar stuff all the way over it and throughout the album as well, which is um, kind of cool. Again, like I said, I don't really like King Crimson, but I do like that kicking in with David's stuff. Um, and then ultimately the song had the most, one of its probably most gorgeous songs of all time, which was Ashes to Ashes. So bringing back the Major Tom character, but really this time revealing exactly what Major Tom was, a junkie, high-waisted. And there's some, you know, uh, probably a little bit of autobiographical sort of stuff creeping into it. Um, but on the whole, it's a fabulous record. A bit edgy. People regard it as the last great David Bowie album. Um, I don't agree with that. However, it is it is very, very good. Um, don't you think with Bowie, though, like his albums are they're like so different so like you know it's, isn't it hard to just say like that's the last best one he did because they're all so different i totally agree yeah you know, the guy was never afraid to actually try something sometimes it worked mm. a lot of the time it worked but not all the time yeah. but this one like you this could album say that about did. clapton or ray vaughan because it's the same yeah, sort of they, stuff, they, but... yeah yeah people say that crap all the time um but i don't agree i think it's a fabulous record so yeah, that's Gary Monsters and Super Creeps. Thanks very much. So for my one this week, um, I've gone with Peter Gabriel. It's his third solo album. Um, and for the first four albums that he released, actually, they were all called Peter Gabriel. <laughs> um, so to kind of avoid confusion, um, they went by the album cover picture and gave it a subtitle. So they called it Melt. So it's got quite a striking album cover of basically oh, his face. Oh, yeah, like I know that one, half yeah. Of it's kind of melted away. Um, so... It was what he kind of like Led Zepp, just Led Zeppelin, yeah. Led Zeppelin, yeah. Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin. It's yeah. not very oh, original so. considering he's such a great songwriter. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I am so su I am surprised. Think about, obviously. Um, the album cover, yeah, is quite striking. So it's like a portrait of him. Half the face is kind of melted away. And it was done by Hypnosis and oh, Peter Gabriel. But it was actually taken with a Polaroid camera. And wow. what they did was, while the camera, while the photo was still drying, they smudged it, and that's how they got the effect. So it's not like you know no. crazy. It was just a fun it's, smudge to actually cause that effect. Yeah, screw all this Photoshop stuff. That's that awesome. is 1980s Photoshop. That's, that's <laughs> really... Just get my thumb on it. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Epic. Um, it's it's quite an interesting album. Um, it's it's only got like eight tracks on it, but um, it's interesting for a few reasons it was the first kind of album where he kind of started toying around with like political ideas um you know there's a song in there Biko which is about Stephen Biko um he started to get into things like Gangs Without Frontiers around this time which is like an anti-war song as well um but in terms of its production it was really interesting he got um you know he hired one of his old mates uh Mr Phil Collins to come in and drum on it um but with a stipulation and the, and the rule was no symbols allowed so when you listen to this album, That's there's no the symbols album. on it. Yes, I've heard it's of all, this. The whole thing is toms and, and, and snare no drums. But no symbols allowed. Yes. Um, who, who produced it? Uh, I think it was Hugh Padgham. Oh, no, Steve Lillywhite, who, who was also around 
kind of like old school with with uh, Genesis and and all of those kind of bands at the time. Um, Funnily enough, actually features two two artists who have appeared on other albums we've mentioned tonight. So Robert Fripp plays guitar on this album. Um, Tony Levin, who plays bass on Double Fantasy, also plays bass for with, with Peter Gabriel as his resident bass player, basically. Um, it's also, in terms of that production, the other interesting thing with the drums is it was the first album to ever have that gated drum sound. This was the one that kicked it off. And it came from an experiment that Hugh Padgham and Steve Lillywhite were doing at the time um, to do with like echoes and stuff. Um, and they'd kind of like experimented with it on some earlier albums. They, they'd done a bit on a Susie and the Banshees album and some other, other things to kind of try and get that effect. But this was the album where they first kind of like knocked it in. And, and it kind of comes around on the very first track. So I'm just going to play a little really brief bit of uh, the first track, which is called Intruder. And you can hear that drum sound straight away. And that track gets very, very weird. Uh, so it does pick up. What I will say about this album is it's not an easy album to listen to. It does get very dark. It's some really kind of weird stuff going on in it, much like the Bowie stuff, actually. Um, and in fact, the, the, his record label at the time in the States was Mercury, Mercury Records, and they didn't want to release the album. And in fact, didn't release the album. Um, they just said it was too weird. Uh, nobody would buy it. It was like just... You know, they were actually questioning his mental health. They thought he maybe he was like had been in like a oh, what a, a bunch a, of bastards. Had, had yeah, agreed. Like a, a mental institute or something. Um, and he was thinking, actually, this is my best album. <laughs> I've yeah. so much like I put everything into this album. I'm not going to release it because um, he wasn't he, hip to be square. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, oh. Sorry, it was it was Atlantic that rejected him. Mercury picked it up. Mercury uh. released it in the states eventually. Um, and then Atlantic, upon hearing it and seeing that it actually did pretty well, um, basically went back on bended knee and begged him to come back to Atlantic. <laughs> so he, he he won out in the end. Yeah. Um, Amazing. So the first track I'm going to play um, is one of my favourites of it. It's called I Don't Remember. Um, it's a really funky track. Um, um, Tony Levin play, uh, plays an instrument called a Chapman Stick. I don't know if you've ever come across a Chapman Stick. It looks like a plank of wood, basically, but it's a 12-string... <laughs> Base. string plank of wood uh, yeah basically and um but you can create like you can kind of split it i think so you can have like different sounds tonally mm -hmm. from one half to the other um so yes yeah, um i don't remember Definitely, definitely an alternative superstar, eh? 
Yeah, and he's always kind of gone to the beat of his own drum, really. You know, he's never kind of pandered mm-hmm. to, to commercialism, really. But, you know, obviously he's had like really commercial songs, because like Sledgehammer and stuff. But, um, yeah, he always kind of story first and and when obviously this was be kind of just as he was kind of getting into like the African thing and um, there's elements of that start to come in on this album as well. Um, but the whole world music thing, you know, he's been a big, massive proponent of that over the years and has really supported artists through his own label, through Real World um, and WOMAD. You know, he, he basically kind of helped, had a big part in starting up WOMAD as well. Um, I reckon yeah. I know the reason why they thought he was nuts. Because if you've ever done any home recording, you're, you've got you've got your headphones on and no one can hear anything. They just see you in a booth. And probably the, you know, the producers walk past as he's doing those sounds at the start. And they probably just heard that coming out of his mouth. Like, hey, the guy's lost it, man. Yeah, he does go a bit tarsen <laughs> a couple. Yeah. Um, so the next track I've got is, um, is the one that was probably the biggest hit off the album. It's called Games Without Frontiers. Um, and again, um, like a strong message in this song. Although it's got some humor in it as well, as you'll hear at the beginning. with Jane. Jane plays with Willie. Willie is happy again. Suki plays with Leo. Sasha plays with Brit. Adolf builds a bonfire. Enrico plays with it. There we go, Games Without Frontiers, uh, featuring a certain young lady on uh, backing vocals by the name of Kate Bush. Uh, <laughs> oh, you just ruined it for me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, so that's my album choice, yeah. Um, as I say, quite a dark, um, interesting album, quite a challenging album to listen to in parts, but um, definitely kind of set the, the template for everything that came after that with it, yeah. I love Peter Gabriel, and you know, the more I listen to his stuff, maybe as I got a bit older, I, I kind of get it, I dig it, you know, and, and it's important to have stuff like what he's doing way back there, which is way, way ahead of his time, because he was just, yeah, he sound of his own drum, right? I love that shit. All right. Thanks for that, guys. Um, that kind of brings us to a wrap, really, for tonight. Um so that was 1980. Uh, don't forget, you can find us on our Facebook page and um, we're our new and improved Facebook page, in fact. And uh, we're now open for suggestions for future shows. Um, and please leave your comments on, on the Facebook page as well. Um, and um, yeah, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we will see you next week.